Okay, here we go, in brightest day. So this episode obviously is the first to uh, to feature a Green Lantern in the DC animated universe. And it's interesting that, uh, that the Green Lantern they chose to feature here was Kyle Rayner. Now, I have no way of knowing this for certain, but I suspect that when they were originally putting this episode together, they wanted to use Hal Jordan. But given that Kyle Rayner was the uh, the current Green Lantern in the comics, and DC was putting all of their efforts behind establishing him as the one true Green Lantern and trying to make people forget about Hal, that uh, DC told them that if they wanted to do a Green Lantern story, they'd have to use Kyle. Now, I have no way of knowing that for certain. I only suspect that because, and I'll point it out uh, on when it happens on screen, but there are several points in this episode where it becomes clear that they've merge the Hal and Kyle characters together to create a sort of uh, composite character that encompasses some of the traits of both. And so I, I'm led to believe that perhaps uh, Gil's Ristorante there is a nod to the original Silver Age Hal Jordan Green Lantern comic artist Gil Kane, whose art style is being aped by someone in those uh, those pieces of Kyle's art that Jimmy is looking at. The, the art style there is is unmistakably supposed to be a nod to Gil Kane, and Kyle's obviously, obviously been rejected by DC Comics. So yeah, so there's several points, uh, several things about Kyle's character here that lead me to believe that they were originally plotting the story out for it to be Hal, uh, but then when word came down they had to use Kyle, they changed some details but not others. I don't know why otherwise uh, so much of Hal's attributes would remain. For instance, the most noteworthy one um, from a physical standpoint is that Kyle has Hal's hair color. Hal Jordan's hair was brown and Kyle Rayner's hair is black. And when Kyle made his big return in the appropriately named The Return in Justice League Unlimited, his hair was colored the correct color, black. Guardians must keep some hair dye stash on Noah. So yeah, so for those who are listening and, and don't quite know what I'm talking about when I refer to uh, to Hal Jordan versus uh, Kyle Rayner, even though I suppose Hal did make a quick cameo in the Once and Future thing in, in JLU, um, I'll give you some, some brief background on the history of the Green Lantern character. The original Green Lantern, what's now referred to as the Golden Age Green Lantern, a man by the name of Alan Scott, debuted in July 1940. He was created by an artist named Martin O'Dell, who unfortunately just passed away a couple of days ago as of this recording. Uh, O'Dell was told by DC that if he wanted to get a job, he would have to come up with the next big comic book superhero. And on his way home one day, uh, he noticed the train conductor using a green lantern to, uh, to go about his business. And, you know, inspiration struck, as it often does in these stories. And uh, and soon, uh, Nodell was paired with a writer by the name of Bill Finger, who wrote the, a lot of the original uh, Golden Age Batman stories, uh, to team up to write uh, the first Green Lantern stories. So Alan Scott had a rather successful career until uh, until basically the, su- the superhero genre died out in the late 1950s or the early 1950s, I should say, and stayed pretty much stayed dead for a few years until the Silver Age of superheroes began and uh, in 1956 with the debut of the Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen, and 
the next character DC chose to dust off and revitalize after Barry Allen was Green Lantern. So here we have Abin Sur, Green Lantern of Space Sector 2814, immediately preceding Kyle. And I'll talk a bit about Abin Sur a bit later, um, when I'm not in the middle of this particular story. Um, so yeah, so Hal Jordan was the uh, the secret identity of the Silver Age Green Lantern that DC created to revitalize the concept uh, during the big second wave of superheroes in the late 1950s. Uh, Hal was a test pilot, pretty much the most glamorous job one could have back then, uh, and he was chosen because he was without fear to be the newest member of the Green Lantern Corps, which was a concept that, that did not exist back in the Golden Age. Alan Scott's uh, lantern was more magical than science fictiony, and although the powers were the same, there was no concept of any Green Lantern Corps. So that was introduced uh, with Hal's debut in the 1950s. Uh, Hal went on to have an even longer and more successful career. He was Green Lantern for about 35 years with minor interruptions, uh, those interruptions being the introduction of other Green Lanterns, such as John Stewart and Guy Gardner, who uh, temporarily took over the, the lead role in the series. But it wasn't until the early 1990s that Hal's tenure really came to an end with the introduction of Kyle Rayner. Uh, DC decided the Hal Jordan character was perhaps a bit too old-fashioned and, and wasn't really in keeping with modern times and would not be as interesting to modern reader, modern readers as perhaps a new character would be. And uh, so the marching orders came down to a writer by the name of Ron Mars to create a new Green Lantern, a younger, hipper, 20-something Green Lantern that would become the new star of the book. And so Kyle Rayner, a uh, 20-something artist, was introduced. So with the, with the writers and, and producers of the animated series here have chosen to do is sort of take, if not the best characteristics of Kyle Rayner and Hal Jordan then, um, at the very least, some of the most recognizable characteristics of both and sort of blend them. And as I speculated early on, that may or may not be due to uh, any last-minute changes in the, the script-writing process with regards to which lantern they were allowed to use. Uh, now, I'll come back to what I was saying in a second, but here, when Kyle puts the ring on, and you heard it a little bit uh, earlier, too, when Abin was, was dying... But we get Mike McQuiston's fantastic Green Lantern theme here. It just sounds so awe-inspiring, you know, kind of, kind of mysterious, but just so majestic that I, I feel it's it's a fantastic theme for the Green Lantern Corps, and it gets even more play obviously in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited uh, with John Stewart, and then with every time the Corps reappears in its entirety and so on, it gets a lot of play. But yeah, so not only does Kyle have Hal's hair color, but he also has, for the most part, Hal's origin. Kyle's origin in the comics was when Hal Jordan uh, basically went mad with power and destroyed the Green Lantern Corps. Kyle was given the last ring, basically because he was the first person the Guardian who bestowed the ring on him happened to find. Whereas Hal, in the 50s, his origin was that he was a test pilot who was brought to Abensur as he was dying because the ring sought him out as the most worthy successor, and he was given the ring in, in sort of an official manner, as, as would be fit, a Green Lantern passing his ring on to his successor. So here, they've kind of merged the origins. Kyle is still an artist, but he gets picked because he is without fear by the ring as Abensur is dying. So they've kind of merged the two origins. 
And um, Bruce Timm has said that they kind of wish that they didn't have to have Superman in the story so much. It's his series, so you have to have him there. But it's a Green Lantern story, and Superman really has no place in Green Lantern's origin. So you kind of feel like, you know, Superman, just get out of the way and let the story happen. You don't really need to be here for this. So here comes Sinestro, voiced by Ted Levine, uh, best known these days from a recurring role on Monk. He voices Sinestro here and in all of his return appearances on uh, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and Static Shock. Now, Sinestro's backstory is, is rather long and ponderous as well, but uh, but the gist of it is that he was the Green Lantern for the space sector that included his home planet, Korugar. Um, and although he was a very brave and fearless Green Lantern, he was also a bit of a dictator, and he basically turned his planet into a police state, which he ruled over with absolute power and control, to the extent that the people feared him and, and he was really not acting as would befit a Green Lantern. And when the Guardians became aware of this, they stripped him of his rank and exiled him to the antimatter universe of Quard. There, he managed to acquire a yellow power ring, which, given that the Silver Age Green Lantern's green power ring had a vulnerability to yellow, was the perfect weapon for Sinestro. Here, the, the ring, Green Lantern's ring, isn't really described as having that yellow weakness, and so the fact that Sinestro's ring is yellow is, is not really of great importance, but that's the reason. Sinestro is basically the Green Lantern adversary, and so it makes sense that they would use him here. So Abin Sur, who's come and gone, um, he was originally introduced just to be killed off, so Hal could succeed him, but he's had a, a fair number of stories told, told about him retroactively in the, uh, in the intervening years. Perhaps the most memorable being one that was done uh, as a backup in the Green Lantern Corps quarterly uh, by Alan Moore, which basically told the story of how years ago Abin Sur, on a mission, came to a planet inhabited by various weird creatures, one of which was known for telling nothing but lies, or, or would tell lies in a very deceptive way so that you would never quite be sure if he was telling the truth or not. And he told Abin the story of how he would eventually die and, and told him all these things. And what actually ended up happening was that Abin ended up taking some of the creature's warnings to heart. And and, and uh, it was because that he allowed himself, to his his weaknesses and his pride to be preyed upon by this creature, that he actually ended up uh, being killed. So... In the original story, his his ship, and, and here too, his ship crash lands, and you kind of wonder why he's using a ship if he can fly through space with his power ring. But the alien basically preyed upon his his uh, his his doubts about whether his power ring would fail at a crucial time, and so Abin took it upon himself to travel. When he had to travel long distances, he would use a ship, and that ended up being his downfall because the ship ran aground in some cosmic rays or whatever and was destroyed and, and he died and so the alien told him these things knowing that that would happen and bring about his ultimate downfall and Abin's been trotted out every now and then uh, when Hal Jordan became the Spectre for a while Abin Sur basically became his uh, his ghost sidekick the Jiminy Cricket to his uh, 
to his adventures. The Green Lantern costume that Kyle wears here is is uh, similar to the one in the comics, but if you want to know what the uh, what the actual Green Lantern Corps uniform in the comics was for the longest time, then you just have to look to uh, what Hal Jordan was wearing in his brief cameo in the Once and Future Thing Part 2. This is a somewhat more streamlined uh, costume, as is Sinestro's, but the Green Lantern costume that they use here eliminates some of the white uh, that was in the original and makes the shapes a bit more angular and less curved, so as to make it easier to animate. Now Kyle here is voiced by an actor named uh, Michael P. Greco, but when he returns in The Return, he's voiced by Will Friedle, who uh, is best known as playing Terry McGinnis in Batman Beyond. So uh, I've noticed a, a trend when... Uh, when an actor only plays a role once for a guest spot, uh, and then that character is brought back years later for another series, they often don't get the same actor again. It's only when an actor really makes a role his own by voicing the character several times that they end up getting that actor back. For instance, they got, uh, they would get, obviously, Mark Hamill back as the Joker for Justice League, or Ron Perlman back as Clayface, or any of the the major recurring characters from previous series, Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, Wilfred Dallas, Terry McGinnis. But when someone only voices a character once, uh, they don't end up voicing that character again when they return years later. It's the case here with uh, with Kyle and then uh, the actor who originally voiced The Flash and Speed Demons and then Miguel Ferrer who voiced Aquaman and and so on and so forth. The they didn't have a lot of luck bringing back actors who voiced uh, one-shot heroes when they reappeared years later. So this story also posed some continuity problems for uh, for Justice League when it first debuted because they... Okay, I'll get back to this in a second here because we're about to segue to Oa. Um, here we have the Guardians talking to Superman, and here, oh, we're going to get some Green Lantern, Salak, Katmatui, Abensur, Kilowog, Garkus Chumak, Tomar Ray, don't know who those three guys are, Larvox, Aresia, um, and Sinestra, obviously. But here there are male and female Guardians, and, and, not only that, but they're wearing green and black outfits as opposed to red and black, which they always did in the comics and which uh, which they do when they reappear in Justice League. But there are male and female guardians here. The problem with that, and they remedied this later in Justice League when they only had male guardians, but the problem with having male and female guardians was that in the comics, it was a story point that there were only male guardians. The female guardians had split off from the males, you know, untold eons ago and formed their own race called the Zamorans. And uh, Star Sapphire, a villain who later appears in Justice League, uh, was created by them, the Zamorans. So, which is why her powers are kind of similar to Green Lantern's, only with a different color. So the fact that they use male and female guardians here, uh, they probably didn't think they would ever get to that kind of stuff, Star Sapphire and so on, but in Justice League they, they did, and so maybe sort of cover themselves in case they decide to do a, a later story with the Zamrons. Uh, they got rid of the female guardians when they used them in Justice League. 
But uh, yeah, so the continuity problems this presents uh, for Justice League when they decided to use Jon Stewart in Secret Origins and, and obviously for the remainder of the series, they established that he'd been Green, Green Lantern for a long time. Now, if, it, if he'd only been Green Lantern for a year or two, that wouldn't be a problem, because you could assume that maybe Kyle had decided not to be Green Lantern after all and had passed the ring on to John, or something to that effect. But if, if John had been Green Lantern for a decade plus, that would overlap with Abin Sur's tenure. And so they sort of decided early on, well, we're not going to explain that. We're just going to sort of let the fans come up with their own explanation if they want to. But they did actually end up explaining it later on when they said that after Kyle, you know, after the events of this episode, Kyle had been assigned uh, to Oa for training under Kat Matui, and that John had been recalled from another sector that he was patrolling during the time period of this episode to take over Sector 2814. So when you look at it all together, the uh, the idea appears to be that uh, rookie Green Lantern is sent to Oa for training and then is assigned to a sp- space sector, not necessarily the space sector with their planet of origin. And so uh, when Jon Stewart is reassigned to space sector 2814, which includes Earth, sometime between this episode and Secret Origins, he's been away for 10-plus years. And then when we see Kyle uh, later on, Katma refers to having trained him, and he, when he appears in the return, he appears to be now a full-fledged member of the Green Lantern Corps, and in fact in somewhat of a leadership role. So here Sinestro is referring to uh, to his backstory, which I mentioned, how the Guardians uh, took his ring away. He, in his sort of megalomaniacal fury, he, he thinks it's because the Guardians feared his power and so on. That's a great shot. Uh, but of course it was because he was evil. And and really, when you hire a guy named Sinestro for your heroic intergalactic core, you really deserve anything that happens to you. Broom there, the the, the name Broom in, uh, in the Air Force base, and of course Colonel Hal Jordan there, uh, the name Broom refers to John Broom, the original writer of the Silver Age, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan's adventures, uh, along with artist Gil Kane, who was referenced previously. So I guess the uh, the idea here, and they never imagined they'd be actually putting Hal Jordan in a show later on in JLU, of, of course, when they did this episode, but the idea appears to be that in this reality, if you will, uh, Hal Jordan didn't get the ring and he's still a pilot, whereas in some alternate reality that gets merged with our own in the Once and Future thing, some alternate timeline, he does become a Green Lantern. Perhaps here instead of Kyle. Perhaps that's where the timelines diverge. But at any, but it's not like Cal Jordan doesn't exist in this timeline. He's just not a Green Lantern. Or at least he's not a Green Lantern at the, at the time period of this episode. He's in the Air Force. If you really wanted to try to fit Hal Jordan into this continuity, you could say that perhaps he was a Green Lantern long ago, or or something, but they never got into that. <laughs> He's missing some teeth. A little cart- it's a little cartoon with the human-shaped crater that he creates. You can't break a power ring like that, silly Superman. In fact, the the idea of having female guardians uh, was was picked up relatively recently by the comics, when after Hal Jordan had gone insane and, and 
destroyed the Guardians and the Corps, uh, Kyle Rayner years later was able to uh, resurrect that entire mythos, but he decided that there should be male and female Guardians. So when he recreated the Guardians out of the vast energies of the central power battery, he made both males and females. So there are both genders in the comics currently. And that's in Brightest Day. They really uh, they really treated the Green Lantern mythos with a great deal of respect, I feel, uh, both in this episode and then later on in, uh, in Justice League. When they, when they trotted out the core, it would always be a big event and they would always treat them with a great deal of deference. And they, they did characters like Kilowog and Kat Matui and the Guardians uh, very, very well. But all that can be traced back to this one episode. Thanks for listening.